You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Today I am talking to the delightful sausage, also known as Amy Gledhill and Chris Cantrill. Um, And Amy and Chris are going to be very candid about their professional relationship, the way they met, their origins and so on. Um, But we're also going to get into some fascinating ideas about world building, law, L-O-R-E, and um, and also the Bible that holds the secret geography and population of Icklewick, where the delightful sausage are based. Or if they're not based there, then it's the sort of the world they've created. And we're going to get right into the guts of it and the dynamic between them. This is a really fun episode, um, in, enormously enjoyable to uh, talk to them. And if you haven't seen them, I highly recommend starting with a little video of theirs if you're not a member of Next Up and can't access uh, Cold Hard Cash, which I do highly recommend. Very, very funny. Um, They've got a bunch of stuff on YouTube. Um, And a fun entry point, uh, even though it doesn't absolutely represent what they do now, is the German Christmas market sketch. So search for that with Delightful Sausage if you are unaware of them as yet. Uh, And you can find out more about them in all sorts of places, not least the Insiders Club. So go to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders uh, if you would like to hear more from this pair talking about their naivety and neurosis, their very functional double act dynamic and who exactly picks who up when they're down. Uh, This is a tremendously fun episode, so I'm going to get out of the way of it. Here's Amy and Chris of The Delightful Sausage. Welcome to the podcast, Amy and Christopher Louise. What a joy to have you both here. Um, I suppose we've got to start, and I realise we did this before we officially started. Chris, can you just describe the Airbnb debacle? So, uh, would you like to? Is it part yeah, of... Yeah, 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 absolutely. Think this, it, like, how much of a big life change is it? Huge. Um, so, we spent lockdown one, like my mother and father-in-law on a B&B up in Cumbria on Hadrian's Wall, and we spent... We got out of there before, out of Manchester before lockdown and spent the first five months of it up there and had a lovely time, um, but obviously under the crushing pressure that the B&B has been shut for a year. So when we were up there, we basically hatched a plan with my in-laws because it, it, they've been shut for a year through, it's through no fault of their own. They've not been able to trade, so uh, it, it's a solution that lets us change our lives and live in the countryside um, and sort of make sure my family don't have to sell it and like because it's like this 17th century farmhouse it's lovely but it does mean that I'm sort of spending 
it's like really unusual for me in a minute because I'm overseeing the operational side of a bed and breakfast, which isn't open yet, so I've not properly started. <laughs> but we had a work party in and I was frying, I was making their breakfast and then I stopped making the breakfast and washed all the plates up and then I went down and sat with Amy to write our Radio 2 show. And I'll be honest, it's very disorientating. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone has ever... I mean, we're 360 episodes into Comedians Comedian now, and I don't think the uh, overseeing the day-to-day running of a bed and breakfast has ever come up. So I'll be honest. I'm, I'm sorry to laugh because you do look pretty stressed. <laughs> oh, that's just my base. That's just my base look. But, uh, okay. yeah, it's an unusual... Um, it's definitely not necessarily the career trajectory, but, you know... Um, it, hopefully, if it gets up and running sort of nicely, it'd be a nice, stable bit of income to sit underneath um, yeah. ups and downs of doing this. Yeah. And this is this has got to be an issue with, like, the difference between your two personal situations has got mm. to be a big part of the dynamic, right? Because as I understand it, tell me if I'm wrong, Amy, you are footloose and fancy free uh, <laughs> living in London. Are you in London? I am, yeah. Moved during the pandemic. Why not? Yeah, why not? It's good. Why it's a, not? The, Double the, my the rent. Ro- the roads why are not? clear. <laughs> yeah. So, and and throughout your throughout the the life of the delightful sausage, which is like kind of something like six seven years into it, are you now? Uh, yeah, six. Des- December oh, two um, early two thousand seventeen. So, uh, oh right, okay. So not, not even that long. Okay, so. But within the, within the life of your sketch partnership, you've always like Chris. You've got kids, yeah. And so, like to me, I I, I remember discovering that, and I'm always fantastically impressed when someone gets into comedy who already has children and responsibilities because it is a completely different fucking world. The idea that you would get into comedy with someone who was in a totally different situation to you. And the pressures that that must cause Chris, <laughs> and presumably there are some subsidiary ones like boo-hoo, Amy must find it difficult as well. Like that. <laughs> I haven't really set you up for the listener yet, and we've got into this quite, <laughs> quite weighty stuff, but that's because we're overseeing the day-to-day running of a and b <laughs> um, We've always had really different lifestyles, haven't we? And I think there was a point where because Chris was getting up at about 6am with his with his child and I often hadn't gone to sleep yet because I've I've got like really mad sleeping patterns there was a point where I was going to bed about 7am and Chris was yeah. up at 6am so we'd we'd get an hour of admin in sometimes sometimes oh in that God. window but it's always been completely different. So, yes, I am footloose and fancy free. I think that's a lovely way to put it. No responsibility. Um, um, but, is uh, that accurate, though? Is it, that, that like... is accurate. Let me be young, Chris. Let me sound young. <laughs> it makes it sound a much more casual affair than what it actually is. Yeah, uh, time is like getting the time together. Mm. But... It's and it's getting we're busier and stuff and obviously pulling in slightly different directions, but it's always been like this because we've all like my home life has always been and financial situation before we started doing until relatively recently was always quite stable. Like I had a partner and a child, and before that I was working in an office full time with a salary, um, and that 
whereas him is like the opposite of that, like pure chaos energy uh, flying around <laughs> in the night. But somewhere in the middle, somewhere in the middle, like the, the stability of that, I think has let us, I, I think it's like a, a mix of sim- like anxieties, but like very different and incredibly complementary sort of anxiety that like overlap in the middle and some and it sort of works but almost definitely every week probably nearly collapses <laughs> <laughs> i love i love the idea of complementary anxieties like that seems that's like oh relationship counseling time you know what i mean that feels like that feels like a pre-existing framework around which there may already be books yeah so I think the first time I saw you was at ARG Comedy yeah. Festival and I was just properly cry laughing for an hour at this preview you were doing because what you've done is you've created a you create a kind of a world but it's not um like you're incredibly sort of fast and loose with the rules of the world so like it, it just presses so many of my buttons at once. I'm like, oh, world building and the ability to kick a hole in a mine that you've just done. And do you know what I mean? Like a whole grab bag of stuff that basically serves as a base for the two of you to just be like loving and vicious to one another. So what what do you like most about what it is that you do? And we'll use that as a like, rather than say rather than me saying, so what is it you guys do? And you have to answer that tedious question. Let's approach it from the angle of what do you enjoy most about what it is that you do? Oh, a good question. I think I like um, that we can be really silly. There doesn't seem to be a cap on how silly we let ourselves be. Um, and also that it's gross. Like, I don't think there's, yes. there's many people doing really gross stuff. And, we, <laughs> and it's <laughs> mucky and it's like, it's horrible. <laughs> and I love that. I love having that opportunity to, yeah, just be disgusting. <laughs> yeah, and I I love that it's it's like weird sci-fi. I love the world building side of it as much as like I love that it's gross and it's smelly comedy. Like it's you just don't see <laughs> like see lots of it. I don't think, but I love that we like it's we've got um, like sort of wall charts of like quite complex back history and stuff like this that just keeps building and building over the shows and like splitting off into like alternate dimensions and all this sort of stuff, which is really, which is really, it's like a lot uh, to sort of keep a track on. But like, I love adding to it and stuff like that, coming up with bits and pieces for it. Tell me about your wall chart then, because I think I'm I'm really uh, I'm surprised and pleased to hear that. But like from from the outside, for people who haven't seen it, it's it's kind of a almost it's a double act. Elements of which seem like kind of front cloth patter, and then it's also a sketch show. And the sketches also kind of sometimes have either darker meanings or deeper meanings, or you know a big kind of narrative twist reveal sort of sort of thing but like a good a good example i guess of what you do is um the uh, the one where you're doing a christmas you're, it's like a christmas video that i've seen of yours where you're doing a song i think it's from a while ago you're doing a song about the christmas markets in manchester which devolves by the end of the song <laughs> this thing i was like oh my my five-year-old might like this and then by the end of it you're screaming fuck off if you think the merry christmas markets don't exist they do cunt what's the matter with you cunt and I, and I thought, oh, that really sums you up as a pair <laughs> because you just kind of, like you said, Amy, you just keep building on what's making you laugh until it's kind of not just preposterous, but kind of violent and awful. 
and not necessarily. We they tend not to think of. I don't think self preservation or that career side of it really factors in. We're just like, should we say cunt? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> um, sometimes Amy will step in. I think I tend to push that to want to want to aggravate people a bit more. And I think Amy will sometimes stop in and go, that's that is way too much. But in general, she in general she's she's one hundred percent stood next to me going, Yeah, do it <laughs> I love that we're a double act. I, I think, yeah, I love that we're a double act. We I, like I think sometimes in reviews and stuff, they'll kind of talk about us like we're from the moon. And like we're just doing this like completely indecipherable stuff, but I really think of it as it's much closer to an old school double act, like uh, sort of Cannon and Ball or the Crankies or something like that. I think it's got enough of that old fashioned like entertainment stuff running through it, and then on top of that, we put on this like weird, bizarro stuff. <laughs> so, how did you? How did you both? get into comedy individually and together because like the earliest mentions i could find of both of your work uh are chris from i think that's where i got 2015 from was it welcome to tittleminster which was a show that clearly is very sausage inflected um but was just chris and then the earliest thing before that was an article amy gledhill wrote about ricky gervais's Derek in 2012 (gasps) oh Oh my god! Oh, that's before I'd done comedy and was very uh, bold in in my opinions of other people's comedy. I would never do that now. And in the show notes, put a link to the article, please. I think that's what we all need to see. I think oh those articles god. are only ever written by people who are not yet comedians. Of like, course. Because why would you rock the boat, maybe? Why would you? And also, you don't realise how difficult it is. Yeah, yeah. When you're well, just that's... watching it, you're like... God, I don't like this very much, and I think everyone needs to know what my opinion is. <laughs> so who were you around then? So you weren't doing comedy yet, but you were a comedy fan and you were aware of, for example, Chortle. You were kind of... What yeah. was your relationship to comedy? I loved comedy so much. I've always loved comedy like an absolute nerd. My favourite show as a kid was Faulty Towers. So from being about four or five, I used to just re-watch Faulty Towers VHSs. And then I've got a little school project, what was in primary school, where I wrote an episode of Faulty Towers. And genuinely, it's better than a lot of the stuff that I'm churning out now. It's like, that's, <laughs> that's pretty good. I thought you were going to say it's better than Faulty Towers. It's better than the originals. <laughs> I did as well. Yeah, it was actually. Now I've thought about it. And have I told you my opinion on Derek? <laughs> um yeah, so just I was a really big comedy fan and then I started going out with a guy who was an open spot in York. So I'd go to a lot of like really local live comedy gigs and I and I loved it. And I really loved it and I loved watching him writing stuff and then seeing it on stage and seeing whether it worked or not and then thinking, "Oh god, I want to try that so much." But I was too scared, so I didn't do it for years. And then um I got drunk and filled in an application form for Funny Women, the competition. Ah, okay. And you had to pay £15. And so I thought, well, I'll have to do it now because I'm not losing 15 quid. <laughs> so then I went off and I did it. I went. I was living in York, I think, and then I went off to Manchester and did it and didn't tell anyone okay. at all. And I did the whole gig in my coat because I thought, I'm just going to have to leave straight away because it's going to be awful. 
Um, and that was your first gig? That was my first gig, yeah. And it was and the funny one, it was a competition. It was a competition, yeah, it was right, a competition. Okay. And then I ended up getting through, I ended up getting all the way through to the final, which was at Leicester Square. So my fourth ever gig was at a full Leicester Square theatre. Lovely. And it was, yeah, it really gave me the bug. Do you know when you think, wow, that's great. What were you doing? What sort of stuff were you doing? Were you doing stand-up or were you doing like kind of your half of what you do in the sausage? What was the tone of it? I was doing stand-up, but I was doing the thing that I thought was like, you know, groundbreaking. But I think pretty much every new stand-up comic does it where you go on and you pretend to be a bad stand-up. Do you know oh, what I mean? Right. Okay, so sure. it was. I was <laughs> that, like, this, this is so meta. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, yeah, the fact that you've kept that going for so long is, I think, absolutely <laughs> amazing. <laughs> okay, so so you were doing that. So let so and and obviously with some degree of success, you got to the final. Did you mm-hmm. place? How did the final go? Oh no, I didn't place, but um, I had a lovely day. <laughs> Um, and oh, who, Gabby Best won. She was incredible. Sophie Hagen was in the final. Okay. Um, it was like, yeah, it was amazing. Um, and that sort of gave me the the impetus to, to carry on. And then, okay. And then off I went. Yeah. And then in the in the meantime, Chris, what was your uh, what was your intro to comedy? Um. So, please tell me it was the funny women competition. <laughs> it was a funny. I won it. Um, no, I, I, I think it was. I can't remember exactly when I started, but I started in, in. I was living in London at the time, and I was working in an office job. And I think I just remember it's something I'd always wanted to do when I was like in a period of not really doing much and being a bit lonely. And I was like, well, it can't get worse, can it? So let's give it a go. <laughs> Um, and then I was knocking around in London open mics around the sort of same time as like Alistair Beckett King and okay. Sophie Hagen and Jam- Jamali Maddox and stuff like that. So we start. I started doing that, and then I then doing stuff on doing weird solo stuff. Well, a lot of the earlier stuff, I was just like so nervous. So I don't think I've always sort of felt like a bit of an outsider with it because I'd be doing. I'd be so nervous getting to the gigs, I would not really talk to anyone before, do my set, and then run away and analyse it. So I didn't really make like talk to enough people for like a little bit. I'm glad you've carried on with that as well. That's good. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> good. Yeah, no changes, does it? That's why I bought it. That's why I was like, Amy, we need to pool our resources. I can be incredibly anxious, and you can maintain people's eye contact. Let's do it. <laughs> But we, I, I did that, and then I ended up, I ended up in um, the competition with Amy, where me and Amy started meeting. Which was, uh, we met through my wife, who was in a sketch troupe. I don't think I come across great in this story, but she was in a sketch troupe with my wife that was, but sort of based in York, is it, Amy? It was based in um, in Saltaire, weirdly. So there was four of us in this sketch group called Jolly Mixtures, and one one of them was Nicola, who, uh, who's Chris's wife, and and the the sketch group split up a bit, and me and Nicola became a double act called Footstool. We did about <laughs> ten gigs. It was amazing, um, and then because yeah. of Nicola, she was <laughs> because of Nicola, she was like, "Oh, you can come and watch Chris, my partner, do stand up." And I thought, "Oh God." 
I don't want to. And I was like, oh, I'm going to have to pretend that I find it funny and it's going to be awkward. But, um, yeah, saw Chris do Tiddleminster, actually, and was just like, oh, this is awkward because I think he's my favourite comedian now. That's... Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> it was so weird. And it was, yeah, I just thought it was incredible. And I was like, oh, my God, this is it. This ex- this is it. This is exactly what I find funny. But that was like... in. So we ended up in thingy, didn't we? Like we were in the Leicester Square final together. Yeah. The Leicester Square new act comedian, new comedian competition there. And um, Amy Amy placed third. And I think this is Tom, Ward, Tom Ward's description. He said, I placed joint fourth yeah, with yeah, 11 sure. other guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and that was saying Tim Renkow won that, won that year, yeah. didn't it? So yeah. that's when we sort of cemented our friendship. Um, but so then we were always friends for a little bit until and yeah and then I went to Edinburgh on my own in 2015 which was um, I learned so much while in the process of losing like five grand <laughs> yeah. um, but Amy I, that show got like it got one review one good review and that's only because Amy knew the reviewer made him come to it and stuff like that which was lovely so they, like so we were cemented friends then and then Nicola from footstool that everyone's talking about <laughs> went and got herself pregnant <laughs> i want i just want i just want to be clear that when you when amy first said footstool i laughed with glee not derision i was like of course of course it was called footstool <laughs> um, and then we i can't remember the exact timeline but um we ended up in manchester we moved to manchester at roughly the same time and decided to put we wanted to get about our feet under the table and sort of make something together. So we started running a comedy night, which was originally called Chateau Le Bon, which was um, like a like like a show where where you were meant to do like people come up and would do three minute, which is kind of a rip off of our friends' night called Chunks in Scotland, and it was like where you come up and do like a short amount of material. But then that got abandoned quickly and sort of turned into the delightful sausage. And the original incantation of that was a weirdo sketch night sort of thing where every month one of us would be dressed up as a, a sausage and one of us would be dressed up as a butcher. Yeah, and um, it's like a themed and night and, and, we'd, and we'd, we'd compare yeah. it together. And so that's okay. how the double act sort of came about because we were both just solo acts, but we wanted to run a night together where we could do absolutely batshit stuff and it was like a place to fail and we thought oh we'll set it up but we'll yeah so it, it was like a really mad night like we'd we'd set the audience homework so they'd all get this like big brown envelope where it was like you need to tweet your local mp saying you've seen a wolf and stuff <laughs> like that and we, it was like it was really enjoyable but just really poorly attended and we were putting in so much work but we was really enjoying comparing together and then it was like, oh, maybe we should do something with that then. Yeah. Um, Footstool had presumably broken up by this point. Yes. Well, she had, Nicola had uh, she had a new baby to look after. <laughs> she couldn't be um, running around doing comedy gigs. Yeah, so <laughs> the implication but, is Chris got her pregnant to take yeah, a double act partner. Yeah, yeah. sure. <laughs> I, I, was, I was just wondering whether I could make concrete that implication or whether that is literally <laughs> the worst thing you could say to anyone. <laughs> But that's not that's the joke. We tell that jokey story, but the reality is that she'd sort of she'd stop doing it at this point. I, the timeline is muddy, and I can't say. But she'd stop performing comedy at that time, and 
um, is now like works. She's a voice coach and stuff and loves it. Um, but it, for me, it was like we kicked it up. We were compa- co-comparing, but then there was definitely a decision to like. I, I remember sitting down with Amy and being like, "I think we should do it as a proper double act," and her saying, "Yeah." And we just haven't stopped working since. <laughs> and I don't quite, I can't quite unpick why she'd say, yeah. I know, but, uh, it's because we, was, but that's, uh, we were driving to Liverpool to do a gig as solo acts and Chris had only just passed his test, so was a very nervous driver. And he said, we should do it as a double mm. act and nearly sort of, <laughs> nearly swerved into the wrong lane of the motorway. And I was like, yeah, 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 oh, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, 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 of course, anything you want, anything you want, just concentrate <laughs> on the road. <laughs> We should do. We should be a double act. Oh, I will take this fucker off the M62. <laughs> she agreed. She agreed, and she's alive to this day. So this is Amy and Chris. It's so fun to hear a double act who have such a kind of like elements of their you, this. You know this thing about like you know Chris's proper life and Amy's uh, young person's life. <laughs> I say that as someone who also has kids and, you know, full-on responsibilities. The dynamic between them, I think, is absolutely hilarious. And what I love is that uh, it is kind of suffused with a real love and affection for each other and each other's work. And um, it's just a joy talking to the pair of them. This is one of those ones. A lot of these kind of one-on-one interviews can work really well despite being on Zoom, something pre-pandemic, I always said, no, no, I'm not going to do that. If you want to have an American on the show, I'll wait till they come here or I go there. But um, this was one of those episodes where I really wanted to be in the room with both of them because they are just so warm and so funny. And you can feel the energy between them uh, on this episode, but I would would have loved to have been in the room for them and uh, got to feel that energy personally. There's a sentence I've fear I regret. Anyway, my point is they're wonderful and you should find out more about them. They tweet at mm, sausage. Uh, I'll put that in the show notes. And also you can go to thedelightfulsausage.com. I don't know where the delightfulsausage.com was taken. That's their business. But we will talk a little bit about developing a coherent brand and indeed a marketing strategy. And uh, I, I think a lot of people, once they've been on the podcast in the next day or two afterwards they occasionally text me and go god was i awful am i a terrible person a lot of people do that um they're the first people (laughs) chris emailed me and said oh god we're marketing wankers aren't we i don't think they are at all but i do think it's fascinating to get into um exactly how they have positioned themselves because it's show business baby it's not show decaying rat as you know. So more of that to come. Remember, comedianscomedian.com slash insiders to get the extra content on this and also the exclusive insiders-only Q&As. We've got recordings of Q&As with James Acaster and now Nish Kumar. And I think the next episode, pending, just getting a little confirmation check from James, he's done two of those and they've both been so much fun. The second of them I may well release on this feed next week as a sort of teaser, really, to draw you in because I think I'm going to do lots more of them. They are so fun to do. And as I've said many times, present me with no anxiety debt at all. Hooray! Let's spend more time doing that. I can also tell you that coming out soon, next week or the week after, will be an absolute corker of an episode with Catherine Bohart. We recorded just a couple of hours ago as I'm recording this, and uh, that was a great joy, so look out for that one. Um, What else do I need to tell you? I'll post-amble at you at the end. Uh, You can still check out my saucy new website, stuartgoldsmith.co.uk, and I have just today 
I've gone and bought the .com. What a joy that is. Once that's all signed and sealed, I'll um, I'll tell you all about that fun thing uh, in a future episode. But um, I have then had... Maybe I shall post Amber at you about this. I've got a really funny problem with, um, with websites and SEO. And it's funnier and more interesting than it sounds. But I'll save it for the post, Apple. So um, let's get back to this. Here's Amy and Chris. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, Amy, when you, when you first saw Chris doing stand-up and you said, oh, this is awkward because he's my favourite stand-up, yeah. what, what qualities were they that you were particularly enjoying about Chris's solo work? So, oh, this is awkward because we don't really say nice things to yeah. each other. We don't like hug our out. It's I'm going like, to mute. Yeah, mute me. I'm going to turn my me. camera off and my <laughs> microphone, yeah. Um, so it's Chris's turn of phrase, like the attention to detail and um, choice of words and weird little imagery. So in this Tiddleminster show, I remember him going on about Billy Bear, Sandwich Ham and poppers and stuff like this. And it was all like these lovely little peculiar references that just felt really magical. And they weren't like, you know, when someone does absurd comedy or like surreal and it's so out there that it's it's inaccessible. But this was like accessible, but just, just odd, just off. And it was like, ah, oh, that's brilliant. And also... Just... Just weird enough... To not have any commercial value at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but also, like, his his performance, because um, I'd come from, like, um, I'd done acting and stuff like that, and I think a lot of performers are quite polished, and there's a certain way to deliver a joke where you let the audience know, <laughs> like, this is the joke. But Chris didn't have that, like, naturally. So his intonation and, like, his volume was, like, all over the shop, and it was just making everything, like funnier and like I just thought it was incredible and so unique um and I just thought yeah I just want to get into debt with this guy <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I, I I remember with after the back of the Edinburgh show being a sort of because I've been made redundant and that was off the back of it and I did that um and it going nowhere and then there was definitely like I wanted to do the double act because I just thought with the kid coming on the horizon when we agreed to do Edinburgh and stuff. I just had enough, I think. I think I knew that my sort of, like, interest and, like, stamina for driving around, like, to comedy clubs in the middle of nowhere and doing five to ten minutes for no money and, like, bombing. Oh, no, doing all right, but just then being ignored Mm. for, like, six months on email. I was like, I've had enough of this. So I wanted to... Like, it felt like to me with the kid... with the spectre of a child being born down the line, I was like, right, I want to do this thing that I want to do. 
I yeah. want to give it a proper go. And it was like a catalyst that sort of changed, that sort of moved things forward for me um, to sort of try something a bit new. And um, yeah, it's sort of gone all right since. And just to reciprocate there, what, when you saw Amy's work, like what was the first work of Amy's that you'd seen, that stand-up stuff that she was doing, the solo stand-up? Like what was it? Other, other than the fact she was in your car at the time. <laughs> what made you think we should do this together? Well, Amy is still... Amy right now, if when I go... Because I'll often... I'll, if we're like writing together, I will go to Amy's gigs where she's performing solo and sit at the back and laugh like a drain. Amy is still one of my favourite stand-ups. But back then, like nowadays, she's got like this very polished, very like accessible set in in the clubs which is amazing (laughs) but back then she was doing fucking crazy stuff with a turnip and i was like yes (laughs) and i understand why she stopped doing it believe me i do but i miss it mama needed to make some money and the turnips don't do well in the saturday night clubs (laughs) (laughs) it is it's interesting isn't it the like Money has come up kind of jokingly and really a few times um, so far, whatever, however many minutes we are in. And I suppose, like, I get that now. I wonder if that's to do with the parenting thing. Like, I always wanted to make money as a comic to prove I was real. You know, that, it felt like that was a kind of badge of honour for me. Yeah. That was a metric. And then, of course, when there's, when there's a kid on the horizon, you're like, oh, I really, I, I can't really fuck about anymore. But I think I'm always impressed when people kind of go... I don't know whether it's that you decide to sort of fuck about differently or fuck about more commercially or decide to go, no, I'm doubling down and doing precisely what it is that's funny. Because for all that you've raised the idea of like, you know, Amy as a solo has made decisions to be more accessible. But do you think that as a double act, you have made decisions to be more accessible? Because it feels like you have really continued to plough your own furrow. Um, I think it's uh, it, every year. We, no, we have made decisions to purposefully not. I don't know. Have we, Amy? Sorry, I'm floundering <laughs> a bit there. Have well, we no, tried to be more accessible? Say, I don't think we have. No, Chris, we haven't. We never have. But, but <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, Chris, I think we, we haven't, haven't at we, all. But we never have. No, but but so for me. I sort of had to, because I want to do the sausage stuff and I really want to keep keep it pure. Do you know what I mean? Like just doing what we find really funny. So that's why I made the decision to do more commercial solo stuff because that was my income. So I'd, I'd make money from my solo gigs, which, which I still really enjoy doing, but I know I can talk about dating or, you know, observational comedy and that and that can serve a purpose. And because I was making money from that, the sausage was kind of free to do whatever it wants. And Chris has always had um, a little bit of a stable job alongside, whether it's a B&B or like working for a chemist from home. So he's always had... We've, so he's had this like copywriting job a couple of days a week. And then I, I'd have my doing accessible comedy a couple of days a week. Okay. And then I feel like that's kind of freed the sausage up to... I mean, hopefully we're playing the long game rather than just pissing into the wind going, isn't it funny when we say cunt? (laughs) 
But that, like, the first show I had um, was bouncing out of me being made redundant. So I had like a redundancy, which like not a crazy one, but like a few thousand. So I was like, again, when you put it in the context of the baby coming, this is insane in retrospect. <laughs> but uh, happily and gladly through that money at that. Because to me, with this, it always feels like you're rolling it forward towards a bigger thing. So... With money, it's um, as soon as money enters the equation, it is probably more difficult than it, it adds a new dimension to it that you need to navigate. But I've always, and it, this is the difficult situ- thing considering our situations are different. I'm always looking to like how we can invest the money back into sort of like trying to get a bigger audience or making sure the audience that we get have little treats and all this sort of stuff or self funding a production like a little skit that we want to film and whereas amy needs money to eat and that's like (laughs) that that sort of that that's a juggle that's the a tough juggling thing to do but i i I was saying to amy i think i think like over three years like we get put in sketch we get put in sketch all the time and i don't think we are sketch really i saw i was saying to amy i sort of see it a lot more like um it's like Wallace and Gromit, and it's like t- the two characters, and we every show is dropping them in like a new situation and a new setting. So we haven't produced like I. This is really bad, but coming from the off, coming from a world of like where I did marketing for years and hated every second of it in the office, <laughs> like a lot of residual thinking of that has sort of crept in. So I do, I do look at the sausage as like a brand. Oh God, this is terrible, Amy. This is terrible. No, but you no, look no, at no. It. keep going, keep going, lean in. You I look at it like a brand and I think over the and, and sort of we we have been reckless and we haven't compromised what we want to do, but we definitely have been thinking forward as to like what sort of thing we want to put out and how we articulate that to the people that are next up the food chain. Or like if we want, we are now, so we've just done our radio and stuff. That is exactly where we wanted to be in 2017 and did have conversations about the steps to get in there. So when we think in a sausage, it's like it is, it is a world with characters um, and we've worked on those characters for free shows to get better at telling stories because that's what we want to do. So we had like... Aside from just like absolutely being willing to bomb it into the ground at any minute, we have had <laughs> like a plan in the background. Is that fair, Amy, or is that absolutely yeah, fucking disgusting? <laughs> no, I think that's fair, and I think it's like um, a lot of people presume that we don't. Uh, not that we don't try, but like I think people would be quite shocked at the amount of work we do put in, and. Uh, the amount of thinking we do about stuff like this when our shows come out and they seem, you know, and sometimes they are just chaos or just shambolic, but the finished show that we end up getting to, um, we we work so hard on it and we really do think about, you know, every syllable sometimes and and then in, in interviews or in reviews, it's like, these two knockabout clowns, come out here and they just you know talk shy and you're like oh we've worked so hard on it though <laughs> and I think it's um I think it would be quite shocking for people to to know this sort of level of prep 
is that is that part of the sort of the deal that you've made though by by wanting to do stuff that is anarchic and silly and sort of resists a logical explanation that's part that's part of the territory isn't it is that mm. people are going to think you just i suppose i mean, it puts me in mind of um of Simon Amstel Simon Amstel hosting buzzcocks and complaining that anyone could do surrealism like Noel Fielding and he sort of he just sort of said something that was a bit surreal and Noel's like and then no one really laughed and Noel went yeah but it's not like and then something that was really Noel Fielding surreal I can't remember the actual <laughs> right. thing but it was something like you know that's not like uh, being made of your own tears and riding around on them you know what I mean? or whatever and then they've got a huge laugh and you sort of go well there we go that is the difference isn't it yeah. it isn't just random but part of the the yeah. territory is people will think it's just random if you yeah. play naives and you play kind of sort of awful obsessed clowns, <laughs> effectively, <laughs> you could, you kind of can't blame people for maybe on face value kind of going, ah, they're just fucking about. So yeah. Hence, I, I mean, I'm not surprised to hear what Chris is saying about the kind of re- re- regarding it internally as a brand, because I suppose the sausage for me is it's a really coherent brand. Like the fact of you wearing the sausage outfit in all of those early promo things just looked a hundred percent different to anything I'd seen. So you can't help but make you sit up and go, "Oh right, there. What are they doing? They're not both dressed as sausages, so she must be mad." Or there's some, re- you know, and the opening line about you know why is she wearing this? People process grief in different ways. Absolute banking joke, but also makes sense out of something which is in itself a really smart move, as well as being funny. Well, that's very nice. When we did the, um, we just done the Radio Two show. When uh, the when we were making that, like apparently the uh, lawyer from like the BBC legal team, they had to sit down and sort of explain the intricacies of the world. And I think the producer was like, "It's like the MCU. It's like the Marvel Cinematic Universe <laughs> um, because it's like all these characters connected over like there's a geography to it and like a timeline." And it's like the Radio 2 show characters that we are in there, like making sh- like just making sure it, how it overlaps with the other world and stuff like that. And I love that. Because <laughs> uh, I, like, I always love like writing like lore and stuff like this. And I think a lot of the time I will go away and spend evenings like writing weird little things to show Amy, you know, like a cat that <laughs> comes back with a dead bird. <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm so fascinated by this idea of writing the law and writing, you know, building the worlds. The fact that you've got somewhere like the what? What do they have? Like, um, is it? A, do they call it the Bible for different shows? Like, if you yeah. work on Star Trek, I guess whatever. Yeah. There's like this is the Bible. These are all the things that have to always be consistent. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. it's just that your ones are kind of, <laughs> you know, to do with sort of small towns, to do with the a kind of. I won't say idealised version of the North, but let's say a fictionalised version of like a parallel version of the North. Yeah. What yeah. are the other things? What are the other kind of central pillars of the the Bible? Of oh, that's a terribly mixed metaphor. But what are kind of like what are what are the central pillars of the world that you've built of the delightful sausage? So the location we've got this place called Icklewick, where whether we explicitly say so or not, everything we do is basically set <laughs> set there, and then we've got sort of. Um, We've got characters that we always have in mind that we use as shorthand, like Paul Grande, who's Yorkshire's biggest widower. So in like, <laughs> <laughs> so we'll have like these like odd characters that like are always in the periphery. And if if we're writing dialogue yeah. and we need to sort of mention someone, we'll put in a name 
of someone that's maybe from a different show. It's only for us. Nobody else will really would pick up on it, but it, we just it, love thinking of it as like a as a whole network, you know, of, of these. It, it's characters. like once. Once it's created, it exists in the world, in the history, and it's like there for future. And when, like, we're not doing a sketch show where everything changes every time. It's the same world. So, like, if we did another show, which we, this is something that we'd, it would take a long time to get to. Like, with live shows, there's so much discussion, like, trying to figure out exactly what it was that, like, I think, you know, like with a sketch show where they pretend to be different characters and like will interact but not acknowledge the audience. Our shows were always us. The audience were always part of the show and we're addressing them directly and probably getting them involved at some stage. But it's that sort of like tiny little thing where it's like we've talked about that so much to try and get it right. And over the three shows have like addressed lots of little intercrisis, like... Work, I think the biggest thing that we've had or, since we've been doing it is working on the characters. Um, and because we've been banging out weird jokes since the first <laughs> show, but the story in that show, which is on Next Up, which is the only one that we've got recorded that anyone can see, like is a crazy show that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no, <laughs> Not under much scrutiny. It's just us shouting. And it's more <laughs> me shouting than Amy. Amy's just like, I've, what, the feedback we came out on the second show is like the dynamics are all wrong. Yeah. So like I think okay. I think I think Amy feeds lines to me to sort of say weird stuff to. So then over the like the big breakthrough with that I think was the third show because we had a session with Colin Hull where we showed him what we'd done, and it, it, like we showed him all the mental stuff that we've done, and he gave us a bit of advice about like when it's easy to do like weird mad stuff but he said but when it goes out and out and out it gets weirder and weirder and weirder what you always need to do is bring it back to your relationship and we've not done that in the previous two shows and that to me is like the jigsaw piece that has kind of unlocked the the like the full dynamic in the world like i don't know it's just like when we're writing stuff since then it's like oh chris this is a chris line this is an amy line she will react like like i don't know it's just clarified everything so are there things that you will and won't say? Are there things, how do you tell what's an Amy line and what's a Chris line? If, and are you both writing them or suggesting them? Are you ever improvising something, Amy, that you go, oh, actually, this, you should start this conversation so that I can react to it rather than be the instigator of it, that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, definitely. We both write for both characters. Okay. And, um, and we'll sort of write bullet points and then we'll do it and improvise and, and, and then sort of... Um, just record what we've done and then pick the best bits. But we're, yeah, we're both writing for both of us all the time. And I think now, um, now we've got a bit more defined characters. It is easy to go, oh, that's that's coming from a place of neuroses. That's a Chris line, or that's coming from a place of um, naivety towards something. That's an Amy line, and it's um, yeah, it's just become so much easier. And like Chris says, this first show that we've got on next up. Because my character was in the sausage costume, she was quite passive. And, like, the joke was that, you know, she was there. And the joke was that she was not thick, but she would just go along with what Chris says because I think she was just happy to be there but didn't quite grasp what was going on. And then we realised, like, do we want... Do we want to be showing that? Is that is that a positive thing to be doing? Yeah, yeah. Has it been done? So we sort of spruced her up a bit and gave her a bit more agency. And then all of a sudden we've got a whole other um, 
thread to pull on of 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 storyline and and what she can do. And it and it's it's like weird. It, it's weird codependency now, isn't it? Like yeah. it's all about like how how sort of tied together they are um, and how much they love each other. But they're like a weird platonic relationship. Like they share, yeah. but they live in bunk beds and stuff like that. Like it's just an unusual world that they live in, but they both got desires, like big dreams, but can't do without the other because they're completely ineffectual humans. And that's as, yeah, which is sort of, yeah. And and how much how much of your real selves are reflected in each character? Like how much Amy is there in stage Amy and stage Chris? And does it kind of bleed across like that? Because you're not simply playing versions of yourselves because you're both writing for those versions yeah um i think there's quite a lot of ourselves in in our <laughs> personas i think some i think sometimes we have arguments while we're talking about our characters i think <laughs> well yeah i think in this scene i think chris is a bit of a sort of really irritating <laughs> arsehole really in this scene and i'm like well in this scene you're a cow <laughs> Um, but yeah, Quite it's all a bit. based the on anxieties, yeah. and and like Chris says, we sort of just thrive on on anxiety. That's like our fuel. So I think it's yeah, all my anxieties are all in in stage Amy and a bit in Chris's, and um, <laughs> yeah, I think I th- it does I get think a bit like... confusing when we're trying to. We did a pitch once to a producer because we had this idea. <laughs> I mean, it's dead dead in the water now, but we had this idea for a show um, about these characters, but how it would how they would exist sort of in a really naturalistic world. And I just remember, and I don't know if you'd really seen anything that we'd done, and I just remember us sat down and having this out-of-body experience watching Chris say to this man, like, yeah, so Amy would be like a sort of living adult dependent, and you know, Chris has got a wife, but Amy lives in the house as well. But it's <laughs> and like trying to explain it, and I was just having this out of body experience and like looking at this producer who just looked absolutely horrified. <laughs> and I was like, all right, yeah, we we'll leave that. Yeah, thanks for the meeting, thanks for the skates, bye. It was yeah, and it was like, oh yeah, what a strange relationship. So for. For your listeners that haven't seen us, I'm sure they're like, "What is this nonsense?" But yeah, it's about it's all about codependency, I think, isn't it? Um, as mad as it is, as absolutely off the charts bonkers as the third show is, with all the like the costumes and stuff like this, the third show is the one where we've sort of fed in the closest thing that is real life, sort of anxieties and stuff, and I think that's I think I think that's why it's sort of we've done better with it than we've done with the previous shows or it's like been picked up in a certain way because underneath all the silliness it's quite like a nice this something about the relationship is something that people can sort of latch onto because we've all had like weird friends that we're like too in like too in like codependent with and stuff like that but that in that world where there's also an eight foot giant ice cream man. <laughs> yeah, but it was a it was a weirdly personal show. So it, one of the storylines of it is that my character wants to pursue a solo career and leave the double act, and it's how Chris is going to sort of entrap me into staying there. And that um, when we was writing that, I'd just got this Carolina Home bursary, and there was a genuine. Yeah. Uh, tension just for a bit 
which was unnecessary, but it was there, wasn't it? Where it was yeah, like, yeah, well, what yeah. are you going to do now? You're going to leave the sausage. Is that it? And so there was this like real sort of um, upsetting bit where it was like, no, no, I don't want to. And but there was, yeah, it was a real thing. And then we started writing about it and. It's weird that it's personal because it is such a, a daft show, but it was like a genuine thing that we were going through. And I think I think if you can do surrealism and, and daft stuff and mucky stuff, but it is, you know, sort of coming from an authentic place, I think yeah. it, it, it rings true a bit with the audience and they can maybe sense it. I don't yeah. know. Don't know. Does, that, does that mean then that you've... Have you, have you considered for the next show, whenever that is, whenever the world comes back, um, and if the next show is indeed like a a, a fringe show or, you know, a, a kind of touring show as opposed to Radio T, have you considered the extent to which having like a real underlying narrative that actually exposes the 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 genuine tension between you two, how that how that element of it might develop alongside the world building? Um, I I don't know. I think we'd have to. I think now that we've sort of got hit upon that as like something that worked, and like we'd definitely be an area to put like to like what's the word like to mine and discuss. And we have like as mad as it is, we're not overly sentimental or anything like that. But we do talk a lot, and we are quite honest with his feelings. Well, I am. I'm incredibly. I'm. I'm incredibly upfront with my feelings, and Amy just mutes mutes me for a day or two on Facebook, um, and then we'll come back and read all those Facebook messages, and then to, and then we'll take those Facebook messages, and then be like, "Well, what if that was set on a cruise ship?" <laughs> and that's the fourth show. I think the. Um... One of the interesting one of one of the many interesting things about what you do is the way that you use the audience, the way that you kind of you always come up with a reason for the audience to be there, whether it's uh, and you know whether we know it up front or not, or it's like an excuse, you know, in, in cold hard cash in your, the show that's on next up, when it becomes clear that oh hang on we're at a driver's you know what I mean we're at like a yeah, speed awareness a course yeah, yeah, you yeah. know or or we're an alibi on the you know on the yeah. uh, the Harry Hill clip the club night clip. <laughs> Um, that you know that you're that we're being your alibi, and I think sort of sewing us into your world, in, into the world that you've created, is a really important thing that I, I think a lot of people forget to do. Coming up for a reason for us to be there, kind of makes the world building that that kind of the Bible idea of it even sort of richer. Mm. Yeah, I think that I think that's a bit of a bit of. I don't know if that's just because our background was doing solo stand-up and stand-up and talking into the microphone and looking at the audience. I don't know if it started off with it being easier because we were definitely, you know, like you go into the world of... We were new to the world of sketch and... <laughs> you know, like the world of sketch, it, it, like not necessarily feeling at home there and yeah. and really not being comfortable jumping into being French people... Um, at a town parish hall meet like we don't like to the, be the standard sketch. I don't know it's like <laughs> yeah you know the one it's like it's like, we didn't quite have the confidence to sort to to dive in head first into that stuff mm. so I think the show that we the the method and the structure that we've created to frame the shows is as much of as not having 
the confidence to sort of like do anything different to what we'd already been doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. Ruth Hannon says, what ideas do they see as something for their individual repertoire and for that of the act? So do you ever come across, I, th- I think what we're getting at is you, you have an idea that's worthy of writing down in a notebook. How mm-hmm. do you know, Amy, whether that's a sausage idea or an Amy idea? Well, if it if it's gross or mucky or weird, obviously it's for the sausage. Um, it's, I think it's it's actually really easy for me to differentiate between the two threads of my career because one of them, like we sort of touched on, is um, aiming to be a bit more accessible and commercial, yeah. and then one is just revolting. So yeah, if it's about a maggot. It's it's for the sausage. If it's about <laughs> a willy. About a maggot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's for the yeah. stand up. Yeah. That is that is really interesting because I I think that's a really fascinating element of your work individually and collectively that, like that you see like, I don't know what I'm trying to say. With my solo stuff, there is definitely stuff that I do that I go, this isn't very accessible. Oh, well, it's what I'm doing. <laughs> it's the only outlet I've got, right? It's my yeah, work. So yeah, I'm, yeah, I yeah, feel yeah. impassioned to talk about this aspect of, you know, wanting to hurl my child down the stairs <laughs> whilst thinking, I don't know if that's yeah. going to fly, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think that's really interesting. Do you feel, just, just a question for you, Amy, do you feel then with your solo stuff that the accessibility of it is is kind of still true to the artistic intent. If, if there is a kind of like, if you're more aware, if you have two artistic outlets and in one of them you are aware that, well, this one has to pay the bills, does that modulate the type of art that you practice? Um, I, I guess it, it is a, a consideration that you have to have, but I, I don't feel like it's less artistic because of me wanting to hopefully make some pennies from it um so yeah oh it's it's tricky but I think it's like I guess it's like if you were a musician so say you played guitar and sometimes you'd want to play folk music and sometimes you'd want to play rock music like I don't think you always have to do the same type of comedy because you're going to find loads of different things funny and there's like loads of different genres of comedy and I think having I'm lucky that I've got these two different outlets where I can really um, separate them. But I think it, I think if I was just doing stand-up, well, when I was just doing stand-up, I had the, like Chris said, I had this whole turnip thing and that was really alternative. And I'd do that on, you know, on alternative nights or smaller nights and then you'd still like... I think a lot of comics have, you know, their club set. So I think it's I think it's just the same as that. It's just a more extreme mm, yeah. version of going. Oh right, I've got my club set. I've got my slightly more alternative solo stuff. We've we've got a sausage set, which is our most accessible stuff. <laughs> and then we've got like even like more bonkers, like odder stuff. And I think I think everyone that does comedy operates on like this spectrum, and yeah. not all of of what you write is going to be right for every gig. So uh, yeah, yeah. And similarly, sense. Chris, do you ever have an idea for a joke for the sausage and think actually this might be an idea for running a B and B? It's so it's it's a straight it's a bit of an odd one for me that because it's so 
basically with the sausage, like I said, I was doing stand-up and then when the sausage t- took off, it overlapped with my son being born. And at the time, not that we had some barnstorming first show, but it was enough of a... Um, it was enough of a like green light to be like, yeah, this is worth putting some more into it. But because of my circumstances, I sort of pulled back from doing solo stuff, which and I don't, I haven't really done it since. Which and and definitely, I've got the time to do it. I definitely pulled back, and I think it might be a well. This is fact. I've got this going on now, and I, and then I've been think like Amy was filming um, a sketch show for CBBC, and that was like five weeks. She was blocked out. And I think that's the time when I was like, oh, I need to... Like, it, it feels like totally justified to have focused where the heat is and mm-hmm. be like, we've got this thing happening here and, and and the stakes are high and it's like stuff's happening that's like, it totally justifies me focusing a lot of attention on it and plus throwing time at all the stuff that sits around the fun, the creative fun stuff, like the admin and managing the Patreon and stuff like that. But yeah, like we've aimed me away for five weeks. I was like, I have got the time to do more, but I yeah. don't know where I'd start with. I don't, I, I sort of feel in that sense, I'd be like starting again. So yeah, I, yeah I've got some ideas on it, but it's like, uh, yeah, but like I'm going to get started, but I don't know exactly what it looks like. But the other day I was like, right, I think I should try and do some accessible stuff about the B&B and my son and then in the same sentence I was like you know what I might go under the stage name of the last pretty gentleman and then I was like no and I was like no that's that yeah that felt like a sausage thing (laughs) Neil Peters says do you think that the regionalization of your work has held you back or limits the appeal I mean this both from a physical location you being based in the north and references within the content do you think that's do you think that has limited the appeal? That kind of specificity. I don't. Um, no. I don't think it. I think it's more of a novelty for for these the southerners being like, oh look at them. And I think now it, it, we used to travel down from Manchester for a meeting that might take ten minutes and it cost us two hundred quid. And now, now everything's on Zoom. I think regional acts are going to struggle a lot less in terms of yeah. like, you know, meetings and stuff that always happen in London. So I think it's going to get better. <laughs> I hope. Matt Smith says Big Fat Like is one of the best things to happen in sketch TV for years. No question, just wanted to say that. Oh, that's dead nice. So that's what Chris was referring to. I'm in this this sketch show on CBBC and Chris wrote on it and um Chris got to write some animated uh, sketches which are phenomenal. So if you okay. haven't seen it, do check it out. Great. It's great. Lovely, thank you. Uh, ben Punter, has there been jokes, gags, or bits in your shows that made the other one go? That's too silly. Um, no, not silly. We we've talked about we talked about the whether whether something <laughs> breaks the rules of the world that we've set up. Whether it's like a different type of surrealism and it sort of uh, makes the world not work, like makes logic. And we've definitely had the conversation that that's way too much. Uh, that, that's either way too dark or way too uh, politically sensitive. So, and I, I, again, I'm so sorry to everybody at that comedy club in Leeds that uh, oh my god <laughs> that attended our. Wo- <laughs> uh, Can you it's tell us just, that story? Oh what did it was when Donald Trump got voted in? Oh God, Amy, what's a joke? I, I, I could only think of it. And oh, it just we sounds- did a whole we did a whole thing about. Um, 
the white man being an endangered species and it was like an, a celebration of the white man but obviously it was all tongue in cheek but they'd never seen <laughs> us before and they f- took it at face value and it was absolutely <laughs> awful and because Donald Trump had just got voted in everyone was in this foul mood and we mm. we really fucked up <laughs> and we're so sorry <laughs> yeah they the, had the vibe of a rally um, but I it think we did it. I think awful. we did end up using a lot of what we do is like we hide, not hide behind, but because we're not ourselves, we're not like my character. My character, who's a heightened version of me, is an asshole and like a, a, a gammony Blairite. So we can hide like his opinions are dog shit, yeah. and that's like Amy can react to him, and we sort of. Uh, play around with a lot of that stuff so i think a version of that of that white power rally ended up in our first show but like a much a much safer more acceptable (laughs) one thank god no one was recording it (laughs) and finally jake donaldson asks on harry hill's club night what was it that chris shouted right at the end and did amy know he was going to do it so (laughs) i will tell amy i will tell this story please I shouted, I shouted, release the spiders, um, which was what Amy said we should end on. But then, (laughs) bottled out, she was going to say it and then bottled out of it. Um, So I did it and we were just having a good old laugh at the end, (laughs) even knowing that I almost certainly should not have said it. It's a great clip and it's a great starting point for anyone who has listened to this entire interview and still doesn't know what you do. So look you up on Harry Hill's Club Night or you can watch uh, Cold Hard Cash if you're a Next Up subscriber. Uh, those are the main things that people can see, right? Oh, and of course, your other projects. You, your stake, is it Staycations? Yes, yeah, yeah on um, BBC Radio 2. We haven't talked about those at all, so quickly ref those for us, please, and we'll direct people to them at the end. On BBC Radio 2, so it's on uh, Sounds, there's a programme called The Delightful Sausage on Staycations, which is a little half an hour nugget, giving you a bit of a flavour of the stuff that we do. It's like a it's like a fake travel log. There you go. And the podcast as well, which mm-hmm. is yeah. on Spotify. Apple podcasts, um, everywhere you can get it. It's a well... <laughs> oh, oh, sorry, sorry, let me let me ask that question again. Tell me, where, where can I get that podcast? <laughs> oh, thank you, Sue. You can get it anywhere you get good podcasts. Um, no, it's Tynus Curls, the world's only sleep providers podcast, um, which is the most heavily produced podcast to the lowest cash return that has ever existed. <laughs> It did seem, I've heard it, I enjoyed it a lot, and it so did seem like you'd spent a time. <laughs> and we launched it during week three of the pandemic. Um, very intense times, oh. very intense. Is that is that completed now? Is, is that ongoing? No. We're coming. We, we've said, we've sat down and we've like, listen, it was so stressful to make. There's no money in it. The production's insane. And you know what? When you really sit down and think about it, the concept of Tyneless Kills meaning a sleep avoiders podcast, it doesn't really make any sense. But we're going to be back. We're going to be back for series two in a bit because we are gluttons for punishment. We are. Uh, but in the meantime, we're doing a podcast called yes. A Lovely Time, which I'm hosting. Chris is producing, mm-hmm. writing some of the questions for, where mm-hmm. we interview comics about their ideal day. And it's just dead nice. It's just really fun and lovely. It's brilliant. Yeah. So that's available wherever you get your podcasts from. 
<laughs> and tell, sorry, just talk me through that again. Where do I get podcasts mm, from? <laughs> Aldi? Do Aldi do it? <laughs> <Something> like <laughs> so that was Amy Gledhill and Chris Cantrell, and you can find more about them at thedelightfulsausage.com and at mm Sausage. and I'm sure through that you can find out their own individual Twitter accounts and doings. Amy, as we know, is an extremely accessible and very mainstream and approachable stand-up comedian, uh, as well as being the sort of sketch weirdo that she is, and so you should check her out also. Um, thank you so much to those guys for coming along. I really enjoyed that one. That was loads of fun. And as I said, the Catherine Bohart one coming out next week is an absolute stone cold banger of an episode. Plus, you might even get maybe half of the, the I've, in the last 10 minutes of recording this, I've talked myself around. Don't give away the whole of the, the Insiders Q&A with James Acaster. Leave them wanting more. Maybe I'll just record, um, I'll release it but I'll blank out all of James's answers so you can just hear the questions in real time. Maybe that'll be fun. Look out on your feed for what's coming next. I may also take a quick break, uh, a, a quick week off, just because it's Easter and there have been 10 of these in a row, so why not have a tiny little break? Um, thank you to everybody involved. Thanks to Amy and Chris. Thank you very much, uh, of course, to Nathan Wood for uh, editing and uploading and producing the show. Jake Crossland for the logging. Uh, music was by Rob Smout and your podcast consultant against his wishes remains Peter Dobbing. I've been Stu Goldsmith. I could have pointed that out. And I will tell you all about the ballad of stuartgoldsmith.co.uk after this noise of a horse. So look, this is, I don't know if this is post worthy at all, but it struck me as really funny given that it's a brilliant problem to have. And what is life if not? I thought about this the other day. I, I thought to myself, I think I'm sure I wrote stand up about this a while ago. I, I don't even think it amounted to anything, but about how you go, oh, I just I'm dealing with all the problems. I've dealt with the problems. And then you go, hmm, fresh problems. <laughs> so this is a fresh problem. It turns out. And I think this is right. I've had a, a, a new friend, a friend of a friend but with whom I'm getting along famously, uh, who knows a lot about SEO. That's search engine optimization. And um, basically, he, I, I sort of watched aghast uh, on a shared screen thing just yesterday uh, as he sh- used various developer type tools to tell me about comedianscomedian.com, which, of course, has been around for eight years and has loads of links back to it from things all like people. And I'm not responsible for any of this. Someone thank you to whoever. And I think you're more than one person whoever's been updating the Wikipedia page. But also the Wikipedia pages for comedian and I think for uh, possibly for stand up and definitely for heckler link back to the show, which has given it. It's something like the 1.2 millionth most visited website or something. I don't know if it's most visited, but it's the 1.2 millionth website. There's a lot of websites. The point is, if you search the word comedian on Google, I think even in America as well as the UK, this comedianscomedian.com is the fourth result. That's astonishing. But what it means, as was pointed out to me by my new friend, um, that I all this work I've put into creating stuartgoldsmith.co.uk, which you simply must visit. It's an absolute hub of everything I'm up to and is you know, nakedly, ambitiously uh, promoting my speaking to business endeavours as well as the virtual office parties I've been doing with young producer Callum. Uh, All of them very well received, very exciting things, products that I am keen to push. But it turns out that there is almost no traffic on stuartgoldsmith.co.uk, certainly at present. Why would there be? Um, whereas comedianscomedian.com gets a ton of traffic. So I've built this beautiful glistening website and it turns out 
it would make more sense. <laughs> and this is just a problem I'm wrestling with at the moment. If you have deep insight into this, get in touch. But I am following it up myself. Um, it, it feels at the moment like, and this is the funny thing about this is the the combination. What what dear Herbie Treehead refers to as successful failures, um, the successful failureness of. Um, like having a <laughs> having a website that's more successful than I am, <laughs> much like I have a podcast that is, shall we say, differently successful to my own career, differently known and valued in the world. Um, and it's a part of my career, so I don't feel bad about it at all. But comedianscomedian.com slash Stuart would make a much better URL for my own stuff. I just think that's funny. <laughs> I don't really know what else to do with that information. But um, I thought I'd share it with you because it made me laugh. What a wonderful thing, like, because you create your own website and then it's competing with this other thing you have that's doing really well, but you're competing with it and there doesn't seem to be a way to separate them. If you have any, I mean, we've talked about, look, if you're an absolute hyper nerd, uh, we've talked about uh, folders, they don't work. We've talked about subdomains. It's very dangerous to move comedianscomedian.com as a sub a subdomain of stuartgoldsmith.co.uk because you risk breaking all of those lovely links. Um, but then equally, the next stage is to talk to a third and fourth party about whether it's useful to rank for the term comedian, whether that means anything. So I just thought I would give you a fascinating insight there into this thing I seem to do. And here we go. This might make it more relatable. Do you ever feel that you put an incredible amount of work into things and you end up um, making things harder for yourself? Do you do that? Is That can't just be me. Case in point. Um, when I did my debut at the uh, Edinburgh Festival, you may remember the Edinburgh Fringe, um, in 2000 and whenever it was, five, 2005, I did my debut show and I had put so much hustle into getting uh, an agent, like an acting agent and a sort of comedy agent, question mark, as well as uh, the fabulous person who booked my diary at that time, um, that when I went to the Edinburgh Festival, uh, with a phenomenally well-reviewed show. It was one of those ones where you just, like, pace stars all over the place. It was really, really exciting. Went down very well, very happy. Only a few years afterwards did I realise that... Um, oh, that my the, the sort of glitzy showbiz agent person didn't really get that they were my agent. They were sort of planning to use me to move into comedy and then didn't. <laughs> and, um, and the booking person thought that it was being taken care of by the showbiz person. As a result, no one was there hustling on my behalf and making connections with people. And I often reflect on that as like, wow, what a... You know, I don't have a problem with it, but I, what what it does is it strikes me as very funny that because it has, in a kind of laugh-or-your-cry kind of way, that that moment, which the more I think about it, the more it, it can be, not always, but it can be of enormous importance in terms of your acceleration as an act, was largely bungled because I had put too much work into it. Like, if I hadn't gone up there with glitzy showbiz person, then other people might have gone, hey, you're exciting, let's have a chat. But of course, it looked like I was spoken for, and I wasn't. And I did it to myself through sort of wanting to work hard and hustle, right? So I just wonder how many other times in my life that has cropped up. I feel like it... The danger is you create a narrative, don't you? And you go, oh, I'm that guy. Even that term, successful failures, it's a lovely clownish sort of thing. And I love it. And it's, it's, it makes me feel good about the things in my life that have gone wrong. But there is a danger, isn't there, that you kind of accidentally craft a narrative where um, uh, things like this always happen to me, in inverted commas. And in doing so, you end up 
kind of fulfilling it, <laughs> you know, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So uh, anyway, the, the thought about the website led me to that because what a wonderful thing to have this podcast and and be ranking all over the place. I don't know. Have you ranked? I don't know that I've uh, I, I don't know that I've capitalised on my rankage, but um, to to be competing with your own website strikes me <laughs> as really beautiful, particularly when you consider that the, I'm I'm going to swear now the fucking month it took me to build my own one, the Stuart Goldsmith one on Wix. That is quite funny. So who knows what will happen? But I I hope that um, uh, I hope that even this. Massive admission of failure on my part counts in some way towards stealth marketing the website, and I hope you will check in on it just to see the work I put in, which now may well because the the comcom one's on WordPress, and as far as I'm concerned, you can't just plug it in anyway. Um, why why not go and check it out before it fucking explodes or I pull the plug on it? But nonetheless, I've also, as I said today, assuming all is well, uh, I have purchased StuartGoldsmith.com from its previous owner. Um, and uh, that was uh, totally unnecessary and <laughs> an exercise in nothing but vanity. But um, again, it brings up concepts such as weight. Yes, it's, that has weight to have the dot com. But what is that? It's nothing, isn't it? So um, what what fun. What fun we've had. Um, I go now to chase up another meeting that I've asked for with someone to discuss a very loose aspect of something that may in at some point become useful to me, but may just be another fun meeting for a meeting's sake. Let's all let's all have more meetings. That's, that's always been my watchword. Not having meetings? Let's have some more meetings. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.